Thank you, Samarim. Uh, brothers and sisters, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. You know, the book of Proverbs is a book that is full of wisdom. And uh, it contains a lot of wonderful verses like, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Uh, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. It's from the Bible, in the book of Proverbs. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. These are uh, all from the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in this book. And if you ever want to read through it, read a chapter a day and you'll finish it in about a month. The book of Proverbs is one of the books that I frequent the most. It is a book that I return to over and over again. And this book of Proverbs is not a book written. I turn, turn it down a little bit. There's a lot of feedback up here. Turn it down a little bit. Hallelujah. Testing, testing. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. Somebody say hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Uh, the book of Proverbs is not a book written by the meditations of man. It is inspired by the Spirit of God. That's what we got to understand about the book of Proverbs. This is not just wisdom written down by man. It is inspired by the very Spirit of God. And if you know the background story, when young Solomon had to step up and replace David as the king of Israel, God came to him in a dream. And he said, Solomon, ask for whatever you want. So Solomon expressed that he felt inadequate and he asked God for a discerning heart to govern. Or in the ESV, the understanding mind. And this response, it pleased the Lord so much that he said, because you didn't ask for a long life or wealth or death for your enemies, but a discerning heart, I will give you what you have asked. And moreover, I will also give you both riches and honor so that you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my statutes and commands like your father, you will live a long life. And if you keep reading, you know that God was faithful to pour out his wisdom on Solomon. First Kings 4.29 says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and a breath of mind like the sand on the seashore. This book of Proverbs is not to be taken as the insights of wise men, but as wisdom inspired by the Spirit of God. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, this is inspired by God. And as this book begins, there's 31 chapters, we get to chapter 5, and the Spirit of God takes us almost three chapters 
Yeah, I'm going to hold it, man. There's some feedback up here. Turn down a little bit more. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Test one, test one. Praise the Lord. Hey, if I start kissing the mic, just tell, tell me to stop doing that. It stinks it up. I don't want to stink up the mic. Hallelujah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Keep the flow. Holy Spirit, come. We get to chapter 5 in the book of Proverbs, and the Spirit of God takes almost three whole chapters to talk about one thing and one thing only. Adultery. Today, I'm going to preach a word boldly that will go out into the church and will begin to confront demonic strongholds that are occupying the family mountain. Brothers and sisters, we've got to listen to this message today and we got to confront this thing head on because to ignore it is folly and to underestimate it means you're already vulnerable to it. Adultery. As a people of God, we got to make war on the adulterous spirit. Can I tell you right now, adultery is not a lust problem. Adultery is indicative of something much more deeper, much more damaging, much more dangerous. And can I tell you something? And I'm saying this as a Korean. Adultery among Koreans is really, really bad. Maybe they don't make soap operas like they do in the U.S. about it. But don't believe the hype. All those Korean dramas, they are not how marriages and relationships go in this country. One-fifth, 20% of South Korean men between the ages of 20 and 64 pay for sex four times a month. So from the Economist magazine. And the irony is, do you know that adultery is illegal in South Korea? Do you guys know that there is a law that makes adultery illegal here? So if um, a husband caught his wife cheating, he can actually take her to court and put her in jail up to two years. Do you guys know that? If you're dating a Korean native... You need to watch out. Um, Let me just warn you. If you're a foreign guy or a Korean American, you're dating a Korean native, watch out. If you're married to one, you better watch out. You better not play. Because she can take you to court and put you in jail. There's brothels on every street block here in the city, and adultery is supposedly illegal. I think that's so ironic. You know, each year, there's thousands of people that, that actually get charged with this law. Only a few get actually prosecuted. But the Supreme Court of this land, they continue to uphold this law. Actually, last week, the city of Seoul has made a measure to try to, make, uh, to repeal this law, to take it away. But so far, thus, the Supreme Court has upheld it. 
And usually it becomes a form of punishment rather than a law to help protect marriage. It's a way to get revenge. And unfortunately, most of the people that are charged are women. You know, according to Time magazine, about 65% of Korean married men have dated other women after they got married. 65%. Sisters, don't shake your head. 41% of married women had dated other men after they got married. According to a Korean newspaper, nearly 68% of South Korean men and 12% of women confess to having sex outside of marriage. And this is just the people that confess to doing it. And you know what? The church here in Korea is no exception. Have you ever heard of the air con moksa? The air con moksa? Air conditioner moksa? Okay, when I visited the States, my dad told me a fascinating story about a pastor, a moksanim, that was cheating on his wife. And one day, he got caught in the act. The husband of the wife he was cheating with, the husband came home, and being a moksa, he had to make sure he got out of there as quickly as possible. And the only way he can get out was through a window. And out of that window, he was hanging onto an air conditioner. You know, the outside, the whatever it was, he was holding onto it. And he couldn't hold on. And he fell and he died. My dad loves digging up these stories. Because my dad's not a Christian yet. He hates Christianity. It's this hypocrisy like this that make, turns him off. For him, every story like this only proves that God is not real. But yeah, adultery, the church is not immune to adultery here. It, it is such a, a huge problem. You know, in a, in a nation where adultery is so common that many women have come to a place where they have numbed themselves and they expect their Korean husbands to cheat, by the anointing of the Spirit, I'm going to shine God's light on this darkness and shatter the works of the enemy. This has got to stop. The cost of adultery is simply too high. I don't think people really realize what is the cost of adultery. I don't think people realize what, what the cost is. But I'll tell you right now, this has got to stop. Church, we have got to rise up and take the high places of the family mountain in this nation. We cannot ignore the family mountain here. You know, I, I was quoting from this newspaper article that Rachel gave me. Talking about how Korea is now the number one, has a number one suicide rate in the world. And I was, as I was praying, I just felt like God was saying, the cost of adultery 
I'm going to talk about this in my message. The cost of adultery is death. You see it right here. Mark my words. If you can bring the adultery down, you will bring the suicide rates down. The cost of adultery is death. And the young people of this nation, they're paying that cost through suicide. I'm going to get into that a little bit more later. The word of God says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Amen? It's a good word. Although there are many men in the church that look at lustful images, videos, and pornography, I believe that every born-again believer has a greater desire inside to see God. Their desire to see God is greater than their desire to see porn. And trust me, if you're going to see more of God, we have got to do everything to walk in purity before Him. Because the Word of God says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Look at Proverbs 5, verse 1 through 4. Let's look through this. My son, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Stop there. This passage describes the seductive allure and charm of a forbidden woman. Check this out. If you are a married man and you see a pretty girl who is single or married to another man, that woman is forbidden. That woman is forbidden. She may seem sweet like honey and her speech may be smoother than oil. But if you touch her, it will be like stabbing yourself. That's what the Word of God says here. It's like stabbing yourself with the two-edged sword. See, this sword here symbolizes the pain and destruction that accompanies adultery. The flattering words of a forbidden woman conceal the bitter and harmful effects of this sin. But don't be fooled. It is anything but harmless. It don't harm nobody if nobody find out. Don't believe these lies. In fact, the passage goes on to say in verse 5, Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is a Hebrew term that represents the place where people go when they die. It's just death. It's the place of death. The words death and Sheol may symbolize a life that is ruined by adultery, but I believe it also means literal death. Your literal physical death can be a consequence of this sin.
Now, some men may kick back at this moment and say, well, that's why I don't want to get married yet. I'm in my prime. I'm just doing my thing. I can't be tied down to one woman. Let me take my time. Well, let me clarify. Adultery is not a sin that only applies to married men. Do not think because you are not in a covenant of marriage that this is something and a warning and a wisdom that doesn't apply to you. Adultery is a sin that applies to all bachelors as well. And I'm not stretching the definition here. It is just basic Bible. You see, these chapters of wisdom warning against adultery do not apply only to married men. It applies to all men. And if you read chapters 5, 6, and 7, you read into it, it will dynamically apply to both married and single men. This is because God has reserved the wonderful gift of sex to be enjoyed only within a committed covenant relationship, namely marriage. Men, God has given us the gift of sex only to be enjoyed within a covenant committed relationship, namely marriage. Sex is not man's invention. It is God's. He created your body parts. He created sex. And sex is one of the most intimate connections that you can have with another person on earth. And God reserved this connection and intimacy to be for a man and a woman who is in a covenant of marriage. And out of this intimacy, God designed Life to come forth. When two people have sexual intimacy, many times life will come forth. It's God's design. Sex in marriage is not man's idea. It is not a societal idea. It is God's idea. It is an institution that God instituted when he created Adam and Eve. He did not create Adam and Eve and Pam and Sarah and Jenny. <laughs> one man, one woman. Because God also knew that the man can only handle one woman. Because, you know, because they're, they're that precious and you know, they need that much t- care and, and treasuring and love. Check it out. If you are a single man, A forbidden woman is any woman on the face of the earth. I'm sorry to say. (laughs) Any woman on the face of the earth is forbidden to you. Think about it. You are guilty of adultery and you will pay the costs of adultery if, number one, if you have sex with a prostitute in a brothel. You're guilty. I don't care if you paid a lot of money. That fee you paid is small in comparison to the price you will have to pay for the cost of adultery. Two, if you're single and you have sex with a consenting single female, 
That girl is also forbidden. If you don't want to take my word for it, go talk to her father. Three, if you have sex with a consenting married woman, her consent does not make it okay. Proverbs 6.34 says, Jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give many gifts. You mess around with a married woman, and her husband finds out your feet may just go down to the path of death. You know, many single men in history have been slaughtered for sleeping with another man's wife. What Proverbs chapter 5 is saying is very true. Her feet go down to death, don't they? I want you to think about this, single men. When you hook up, I'm not even talking about going all the way. Even if you hook up, you hook up or you go all the way with a girl right now. Has it ever hit you that when you do that, you commit adultery against your future spouse if you're planning to get married? Do you, do you ever think about that? I, I sure don't, didn't. I, I didn't think about that. I sure didn't think about that. Did you know that when you get engaged with your future spouse, there's going to come a time when you guys are going to have to talk about your sexual history? Do you know that? And when you do, do you know that she's not going to applaud you for it? Let's get, let's get the truth out. Complete intimacy cannot be enjoyed without complete honesty. And you want to get deeper with your future spouse, you will have to talk about the dirty laundry. And when you talk about your past to the other person that you deeply care for, that person whether she wants to or not, she's going to feel the pains of a person who has just been cheated on. It's not quite the same as being cheated on, but I can tell you personally that it's still quite intense. You know, and I asked my wife Erin if I could share this. This is our testimony. When we were, when I was courting her, there came a time where, where we wanted to go deeper into intimacy and be honest about each other's sexual past. And so I shared, I shared my my past, and um, I actually already knew about her past because I had led her healing and deliverance session, where she had confessed all the various people that she had been with. And uh, when I got married to Aaron, I was a virgin. 
I've never been with anybody. But Erin had been with numerous guys. Because in college, she was severely backslidden and very promiscuous. And there came a time during our courtship where we had to talk about it. And can I tell you, those are some of the toughest weeks that I ever had in my life. I would wake up in dreams of anger and rage. I would think about violent revenge on these men that I don't even know who they are. I had to journal. I had to pray. I had to cry out to the Lord in tears to get through. To get through and to deal with her past. And because I had waited and never had sex before, the emotions and the sense of justice, they were much more intense. I felt offended from the men who had been with Aaron. I felt betrayed by God. And I also felt very angry toward Aaron for making those poor choices. Yeah, I understand I wasn't her husband when all these things happened to her. But I could not move forward without dealing with the very real need to forgive. To forgive the men she'd been with and to forgive her. It was very real. And it was intense. Look, in order to reach true intimacy, you will not be able to skip this process or fast forward through it. You want real intimacy with your future spouse, you're going to have to talk about it. You know, sometimes if both parties have sexual histories, they think that things will be easier. It's a lie. Just because you have a sexual history does not mean that you do not have dignity. Does not mean that you don't have a heart and emotions. Especially the men. You think, men, you guys, because you were promiscuous in the past... That would be that much easier for you to deal with the sexual histories of, a, of your future spouse. You're wrong. Because there's something inherent in a man that, that just knows that if the wife that you are marrying has been with other men, there's just, there's just a sense of injustice there. You just feel so wrong, even if you've been with many women yourself. Look, it's a lie. It's not easier. Intimacy in marriage is only as deep as you allow the other person to see and deal with your weaknesses, failures, and past sexual mistakes. And it is wisest to have the other person share into the details, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you feel anger. It is a wise thing to talk about the details so you know exactly what you're forgiving that person for. So Satan can never bring it back up and say, look, you don't really know what you forgave that person of. Here's what really happened. Okay, You will never get those attacks if you deal with it right the first time. I'm I'm imparting wisdom to you right now. You think Aaron and I enjoy this healthy... It's pretty healthy, right, honey? (laughs) Our healthy, intimate marriage because it just came together automatically? No, we have to work at it. There were steps, there were difficult steps we took 
to reach this place of intimacy. And check it out. If Christ is living in the other person, after some time, that person should be able to extend the grace to forgive as they have received that grace themselves. And look, if they're not willing to do that, move on. Maybe that's a little too black and white. Give him a little more time. (laughs) Okay, but look, if he really doesn't want to forgive you, move on. Why would you want to be with that person? The person doesn't know how to walk in the steps of Christ. And that person can't forgive you of that? When you do all kinds of wrong things in the future, you're going to have a lot of trouble with that person. My bottom line, don't sin sexually. Even if you are a single right now, if you have sex, you're piling up offenses that you will have to present and will wound and offend your future spouse. So stop it right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It doesn't say glorify God with your heart. It says glorify God with your physical body. Flee from sexual immorality. And one more thing, gentlemen. The Word of God says, man looks on outer appearances, but God looks at the heart. This is good news. You know, when people misunderstand you, when they criticize you, question your motives, you can always rest assured that God sees your heart. That's good news, man. But when we entertain lustful thoughts, check it out, he sees them too. Matthew 5, verse 27, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This means that adultery is not just a sin that you commit with your hands. It is also a sin that you can be guilty of in your heart. You don't have to take any action about it. But if it's happening in your heart, you can be guilty right there as well. Practically, this means that when you gaze too long at a woman in a miniskirt, or you look through the top 50 sexiest women of the past year on some whatever, whatever men's magazine, or you open up a Victoria's Secret catalog, when obviously you are not shopping for anything in there. You commit adultery of the heart. You commit adultery of the heart. Now let me just speak the truth here. Adultery where you engage in sexual activity is different than adultery when you look with lust. You know, some pastors, they preach that all sin is sin. All sin is heinous in God's sight, therefore all sin is equal. 
Let me speak the truth here. This is troubling to me. I never agree with that. This is not what the Bible presents. The scriptures show us that God distinguishes between the various sins that are committed against him. It's not like, oh, oh, theft, oh, lying, oh, sleeping with another man's wife. Oh, okay, they're all the same. Let's come, come, come confess it to me. God, God's not like that. Oh, be sure of it. He distinguishes between adultery of sexual activity and adultery of the heart. Some people say the Bible declares that if you break one commandment, it's like breaking all of them. But once again, that passage does not tell us that sin, all sin is equal. Check this out. Our God is a just God. When God, when, when um, David, when King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband, check it out. I'm pretty sure that God would have dealt differently with him if he had simply fantasized about her but did nothing about it. How different would David's kingdom and life would have been if all he did was commit adultery with her in his heart? All sin is not sin. That's the way of the simple. If you want to walk in the ways of wisdom, you've got to discern that God does see the various types and various levels of wickedness of sin and evil that is out there. We know that in healing and deliverance ministry, the consequences of occultic sin are quite different than the consequences of being lazy or the consequences of lying on your taxes. And when we counsel people to their freedom, we take into consideration the type of sin they've been involved with, how long they've been in it, and how severe it's gotten. What's my bottom line here? My bottom line is adultery of the heart is sin. But there is a different line of evil you cross when you commit adultery where you actually have sex. And the costs of adultery are different in both cases. But let me encourage the men of God in here not to look lightly upon the adultery of the heart. There is a reason why Jesus, he wants us to keep our hearts pure. Number one, Jesus taught earlier in that same sermon. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus wants us to keep our hands and our hearts pure. So we can experience and see more of God in our lives. So don't take adultery of the heart lightly. Two, Jesus is also teaching that adultery doesn't happen overnight. A man doesn't one day find himself betraying his wife's trust, forgetting about all his children, and getting in bed with another woman. It just doesn't happen overnight. It is not a spontaneous decision. Many times, 
There is a seed that is in the heart that grows, that is nurtured, that is watered, that is entertained. And as the sin of adultery is nurtured in the heart, when a person continues without conviction, without confrontation of this sin of the heart, that's when the person eventually takes action out of the overflow of their adulterous heart and they have their affair and they commit their sexual sins. Brothers and sisters, um, like I mentioned earlier, by the grace of God and by the fear of God, I've actually, this is the truth. I'm not, doing, I'm not saying this to make myself look more holy. I'm just telling you my story. Okay. I, I have never struggled with habitual pornography or promiscuity in my life. Some guys would be like, Psh, liar. I mean, one girl in middle school, she was like, Psh, liar. I was like, it's the truth. Yeah, I have a couple reasons why I think that I didn't struggle with it. One thing, in seventh grade, one time I put up, I brought home a poster. I may have told you guys this story. It's like a poster of women in bikinis and motorcycles. In seventh grade, I came back home from this carnival, and I got these posters. I put it up on my wall. One of the nights I came home, my mom was waiting in her bedroom with her meme, with her whip. She said, come in here. And I walked in and I just started to cry. (laughs) The posters were laying on her bed. My mom beat the spirit of lust out of me. Hallelujah. And when other men, they hear about my victorious path, they come to me for advice. And I've had all kinds of people, baby Christians, college students, campus ministers, worship leaders, and pastors. They all come to me for counsel. And I tell them simply, hey, first of all, if you've, never, if you've ever been sexually abused, you've got to forgive the person that perpetrated that. And then for the sins that you committed yourself, you got to take responsibility for that. You got to repent, renounce and turn away, cast off every spirit of lust from you, memorize the word of God. You got to stop this sin right now. And I'm just straight with them. I'm real with them. And if they are visiting brothels and, and living a promiscuous lifestyle, I speak with greater urgency. And I recommend that they set up an accountability partner in their life right away. Because they need grace. They need help. Many brothers, they return to me after weeks of temptation. And this is a very common story, by the way. I've had pastors come and tell me this. Pastors come and tell me this. They come and tell me after weeks of temptation, they say, look, I haven't had sex in a while. Should be proud of me. What, do you want a cookie? Yeah, I haven't had sex in a while. But I feel like, I feel like porn is going to help me stay away from that temptation. What do you think? And you know what? Don't, don't shake your head, sisters. This is a very real idea 
And I think it's the guys, they're struggling so much. I mean, we should show some grace. If there's been that kind of habitual promiscuity in their life, and there's demonic spirits keeping them under bondage, you know, they're just trying their best to stay away from, they're trying to lessen the evil, right? And for them, just not having sex is a big deal. So if they think porn is going to help them release and, and, and not go to these other places, then they're going to see it as a real option. So don't judge them. They're just trying to get free. Just trying to get free. And a lot of them say, I think it's going to help me manage my sexual drive, my sexual problem, my lust problem. But check this out. Brothers, sisters, listen to me. Visual lust will not help you manage your lust problem. It will only feed it. If you're going to aim for something, aim for holiness. I don't care how many times you mess up and fail. Don't move the aim. Don't move the target. Your target needs to be holiness, purity. The Bible says, be holy as God is holy. We are not to aim for good enough. We're not to aim for a management of our sins, a minimizing of our sins. We are to aim for holiness. Let me, can I say, uh, this is the truth. I'll speak it out. Pornography is the incubator for adultery. Pornography is the incubator for adultery and every heinous sexual sin under the sun. Incest, pedophilia, bestiality, any form of sexual sin under the sun, pornography is the incubator for it. You want to manage your lust problem? It's not the solution. If you deal with your adultery of the heart, let me tell you something. If you deal with the adultery of the heart, you will never find yourself in an affair. If you will be victorious over the adultery of the heart, you will never have to struggle with promiscuity again. If you are pure inside and out, look, if you want to be victorious on the outside, aim for purity on the inside. Don't just aim for the outside. Aim for the, the go all the way. Aim for the heart. For blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see, oftentimes, this lust thing is a, it's a hunger problem. It's a hunger problem. You know, if you will starve one of your friends in here, not that you have the ability to do that, but if you starved a friend, that friend may have very particular, maybe really, Gadarawa about what he wants to eat. Is that the right word, Gadarawa? Namjaga wake Gadarawa. I always hear that here and there. He may be very picky about what he wants to eat, but check this out. If you starve him, he'll get less picky. You starve him longer, you starve him longer, he'll eat anything. But check this out. The, the converse is true. If you feed him the best food there is, you take him to Brazilian barbecue, 
take them to like a nice buffet. You take them to W. Walker Hotel for breakfast, you know, brunch, whatever. You go, you take them, you feed them the best delicacies in the world. That person is not going to go looking for rotting bread. Person's going to not go looking for all kinds of nasty, dirty food. Do you see how lust is a hunger problem? If men of God would just get more of God in their life, if God is becomes the, the satisfying, the satisfier of your appetites and your hunger and of your soul, I guarantee you that will overshadow whatever you, hunger you have for lust. And it will put it in its place. Now, I don't think like your sexual drive is supposed to go away. I don't think, I don't think we're supposed to be like monks and Buddhist monks and beat ourselves and say, the flesh is bad, the flesh is evil. <laughs> no, man. Sex is good. Sex is very good. Married men, amen? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Sex is good. It's just that your sexual drive needs to be put into its place. And if you're not married, you just got to wait. Just got to wait. Let me describe to you the cost of adultery according to Proverbs. Verse chapters 5, 6, and 7. Let me go over the cost of adultery. When a person actually gives in to the sexual act of adultery, the costs of adultery are many, depending on how high and how far the person has come in life and in marriage. Let me go over a few here. Number one, there's a no-brainer. Number one cost of adultery is the family. It's the damage that it does to the family. The wife is crushed. Many women may stay with the husband, but it's not because trust is restored, but it's because she feels trapped financially. She loves the children too much to just abandon the family, so she waits until they go off to college. And the children, no matter what the age, they get crushed. Whether daddy is a doctor or a drug dealer, a child we are crushed by adultery. Every child has an innate desire to look up to their parents. And when that trust is destroyed by adultery, their hearts get wounded deeply. Sometimes for the younger children, the devil takes this opportunity to plant lies and say, this is your fault. You weren't being a good son. You should have been a better child. Maybe your parents would have stayed together. Or the devil says, it's God's fault. He doesn't love you. Look at your family. If he loved you, why would he have given you this family? Why would you have been born into this world? 
It's damaging. Let me just ask right now by a show of hands, how many of you in here have experienced the damage of adultery? Raise your hands. If you have experienced the damaging effects of adultery in your life. Put your hand down. Every one of you that just raised your hands, you can probably testify of how costly adultery is. From the family's perspective, adultery is one of the most selfish, wicked, evil things you can do. Daddy told a lie. Oh, we can forgive him. Daddy went and stole something. Oh, we could forgive him. Daddy committed adultery. What? It is the most selfish thing you can do to your family. Two, another cost of adultery. Look at verse, Proverbs 5, verse 8 through 10. It says, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. The price of infidelity runs high. Check it out. Everything that you've ever built up for yourself, whether it's power, position, wealth, health, all of that can be taken away from you and given in exchange for a night of passionate pleasure. And that's what this passage is saying. This is describing the cost of adultery. Your wife may end up making demands. The mistress that you are with may end up making demands. Especially if you have a lot of money. This happens all the time. Or the outcry of a community can rob you of everything. Everything you've ever built up for can get lost. It's the cost of adultery. I just don't think many men think about this. Check this out. Your health can deteriorate very quickly. You commit adultery as well. And don't think it's a coincidence. Don't think that it's a coincidence that you got liver cancer the same year that you were committing adultery. All these things can cost you, can be taken away from you for a night a passionate pleasure. Third, look at Proverbs 6, verse 32 to 33. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Wounds and dishonor he will get, will he get. And his disgrace will not be wiped away. Wounds and dishonor will he get. Number three, you commit adultery, you will get wounds and dishonor. You not only wound your family, but you wound yourself. You destroy yourself. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. You wound yourself, and you also will get dishonor. And then, The word of God also says here, number four, his disgrace will not be wiped away. 
Number four, the cost of adultery. You will live with disgrace. You will live with this disgrace and it will never go away. Like people may show you grace and stuff, but by the way, it's never going to go away. It's a high cost of adultery, especially if you're married. Never go away. You know, Bill Clinton's out there in Haiti doing wonderful work, raising money with George W. Bush. They raised like 27 mil for Haiti relief efforts. But, you know, he still goes around the country. And guess what people are thinking? Monica Lewinsky. You adulterer. I don't care how many good things you do. I cannot respect you. And every single year, more and more articles still come out about President Clinton's adultery. Why? Because this disgrace will not be wiped away. You can just do it once. And Bill Clinton's done it a lot of times. But just do it once. (laughs) And it will not go away. I'm just speaking the truth here. I I love Bill Clinton, by the way. I mean, I I like the guy, man. I like the guy. I think I I would would have fun if I just got to chill with him. (laughs) I would lay hands and pray for that. Whatever. If he's still struggling with it. Can't get him loose from that. Anyway. He's got this grace, man. Check it out. Tiger Woods. And there's a little voicemail messages with his little mistress. Right, he's paying for it big time. He's paying for it with money. He's paying for it at the cost of all the endorsements he lost. And golf is a, golf is a sport of dignity, of respect. It's a classy sport. In basketball, I mean, you have adultery and people will be like, man, you have a cut that out. But, <laughs> but in in golf, you, you do adultery, man, you're going to get messed up. People ain't going to like you no more. And there's a disgrace that follows him around everywhere he goes. You know, there's a um, website. There's this company that actually hooks up married people to have affairs with each other. It's like somethingmadison.com. I'm not going to tell you the uh, URL. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this company, they just hook up married people and they, to have affairs. And... They just asked, they offered, I don't know if it's true, but they asked Tiger Woods, they gave him like a like an eight, seven million dollar deal to be his to be their spokesperson. Oh. I mean, come on. There's a disgrace. Even ten years from now, it will not be wiped away. It's the cost of adultery. Think real clear and hard before you get into bed with that woman. Number five, the last cost of adultery, which I want to talk about, is punishment. Look at verse 27 and 29 of Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, 27 to 29. Check this out. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not get scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. None who touches her will go unpunished. What if nobody finds out? Oh, believe me, you will be found out. And God already knows. It will not go unpunished. And we're not talking here about everlasting punishment. But we're talking about immediate punishment on earth. Things that you will reap in the 
and experience while you are on earth. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7 says the same thing. Each one of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him, for the Lord will punish men for all such sins, as, he's, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. What does this punishment for adultery look like? What could it look like? Well, I think it could look like a lot of different things. It could be what I already mentioned. It could be a beatdown from the husband of the wife you just wronged. In fact, it may not just be a beatdown. You might just go down to Sheol. It's game over for you. Punishment could also be so so many, so many. You know, um, you know, talking about punishment. Back in the Old Testament, do you know that there was a punishment for adultery? In the Old Testament, if somebody was caught in adultery, there was a punishment that they were to be given. And that punishment was death. You get caught, you get stoned. Simple as that. Don't matter how many kids you have. Don't matter how long you've been married to that person. The law required death when someone was caught in adultery. What we have to understand, when you look at that punishment, when you look at the law of God in this way, you've got to consider how vile it is, this sin of adultery to God. It is vile, wicked. He knows how damaging it is to families. And God hates adultery. It is a terrible thing in his eyes. You know, we may look at Tiger Woods, Ted Haggard, David Letterman, every congressman on Capitol Hill. We can look at all of them committing adultery. You know how many Republicans this past year have come out and said that they have had an affair? All the presidential hopefuls. Or that one guy that was supposedly hiking in the Appalachian Trail. When he was out in South America getting it on with his mistress. We may see the news reports. But what we do not see... Is how it affects their children. The damaging effects it has on the wife. Or the husband. We do not see all of the damage and cost of adultery. But it's there. The news reports may not report about it. But it's there. The cost of adultery is high. And that's why God makes the punishment for adultery so high. It's death. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. You commit adultery... The law says you die. I tell them that. You commit adultery. The, Lord, the law says you die. Don't do it. Don't do it. You want to die? You know, and I've been, uh, to be fair, I've been focusing this message thus far on the men. But let me turn my attention and speak to the women as well. (laughs) Women of God. Although Hollywood pokes fun at and glamorizes adultery, 
in shows like Desperate Housewives, Housewives and all the soap operas, okay, there is nothing funny about adultery. First Corinthians chapter 10 tells us how the Israelites, they died in the wilderness because of their wicked ways. And First Corinthians chapter 10 says the Israelites were given to us as examples that we might not desire evil as they did. Israelites are not there for us to look down on them and say, oh, those stupid Israelites always making mistakes, always idolatry, all this grumbling. No, it is there as an example to us because you know what? You and I do the same thing as the Israelites. We all get tempted into doing the same thing that the Israelites do. And they're there as an example for us. And verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 10 says, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. You think God doesn't take that word seriously? You commit adultery, you pay with your life. The punishment is death. Well, I'll tell you right now, 23,000 people in the days of Israelites... They died for their sexual immorality. It's not just figurative. I mean, God means it. When he says, this is how wicked it is in my sight, it needs to be purged out from your, among your mist. It needs to stop on the dime. He means it. And verse 12, I give it to the woman. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, just because you don't struggle with lust, women, it does not mean that you are immune from adulterous temptation. Like I said at the beginning of the message, adultery is not just a lust issue. In fact, for many women, they do not get involved in adultery because of a desire for sex. They get involved because of a desire to feel appreciated and loved. Because they feel lonely. Woman, don't think that you stand lest you fall. If you look at Proverbs 5, look at verse 6. It says, the adulterous woman, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. You know, if you really look at adultery cases especially in America because they're so well publicized, many women who commit adulterous affairs, they do not know that they've gotten involved with adultery. If you look at them, there's no remorse, there's no repentance. They just think they follow their heart. And it's what this passage is saying. Her ways wander. She doesn't know it. Doesn't know it. Women, you need to take this warning just as strongly as the men because the way that Satan will get you to commit adultery will be a different path. But oh yeah, there will be an attack that will come. We don't be careful. And what I am preaching here today is not just a warning. This is wisdom. Remember, this whole book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. So these are not just warnings. This is wisdom. If you live by them, you will live by them. If you would, if you would live by them, yes, you will live by them. Hallelujah. <laughs> And so I've addressed the men, and I've addressed the women, and I'd like to end my message by addressing the church. Church, do not commit adultery.
the seventh of the Ten Commandments says, do not commit adultery. But did you know that the second of the Ten Commandments says the same thing? You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. In other words, God is saying, do not commit sexual adultery against me and against each other. And do not commit adultery spiritual adultery against the Lord your God. And there's a reason why it comes before the command on sexual adultery is the command to be pure spiritually. In the Bible, God indicted the Jews every time they turned toward idolatry. And he used language like this, Ezekiel 23. For they committed adultery, and blood is on their hands. They committed adultery with their idols. You know, when you turn and bow down to idols, you commit adultery against the Lord your God. You don't have to do anything sexual. All you do is bow down to pictures of your dead relatives. You go to a Buddhist temple. You bow down. You go to Japan or, or to India. And as a tourist, you go in. You bow down. Okay? You're guilty of adultery against God. Our God is a jealous God. And the rage and jealousy that's described at the end of Proverbs 6 is the rage and jealousy that doesn't even begin to describe how jealous our God is. When people turn to our idolatry, God is greatly offended, hurt. And you know, idolatry is not just contained to bowing down. You know, if you dabble with any form of occultism, for example, tarot cards, consulting a psychic, Going to a mudang, witchcraft, sorcery, any kind of Eastern medicine, acupuncture. You dabble with anything occultic and you're committing adultery against the Lord your God. I'll give you a Bible verse, Leviticus 20, verse 6. The word of God says, I will set my face against the person who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute himself by following them, I will cut him off from his people. The definition of occultic sin is any type of sin where you seek knowledge or power from a source other than God. That's the definition of occultic sin. Where you seek knowledge or power from a source other than, other than God. And occultic sin, when it comes down to it, is prostitution and adultery before God because it is a form of idolatry. It is a form of idolatry. The Saju cafes that are in this city. It is a form of idolatry. You know, for all those, you know, psychic gifts, the body of Christ 
we have true, authentic gifts. You know, the gift of prophecy is counterfeited by people with these psychic powers. It's a counterfeit gift. It's the devil's counterfeit gift of the true gift that is in God. And if the people of God would only just restore these spiritual gifts to the church, people won't have to find the need to try to find out about their future by going to some psychic. They can come to church and get prayer and get a prophetic vision or a word about their future and gives them the strength and the faith to keep moving forward. Any kind of occultic sin is idolatry. You see, brothers and sisters, the Bible says we are the bride, Christ is the groom. We are married to Christ. But so many people in the church, they go dabbling with idolatry. You know, I don't mind if Aaron has a love and a heart for other men. Other men. You know, she, she ministers to some of the college students at Emmaus. I don't, I don't mind that she loves on and, and has a heart for these guys. But I do mind if her greatest affections belong to another man. Oh, well, there's going to be trouble. I do mind if she gets a boyfriend. Why? Because I am her husband. The engagement ring on her finger tells you that I paid a great price to marry her. Out of all the men on earth, I want her to love me the most, to be intimate with me the deepest, to share with me her hopes and dreams. Why? Because I'm her husband. I'm your husband. (laughs) Well, look, the Lord feels the same way. He doesn't mind that you have passions and desires on the earth. But he does mind when you don't put him first. He also gets jealous and angry when we go after spiritual boyfriends. And we learn about all these forms of spirituality in other religions and in the occultic realm, in the witchcraft realm. You see, his son Jesus paid a great price to win you as his bride. The church was bought at a price, and that price was the blood of God's only son. God wants our first love to be for him and him alone. Why? Because he's your husband. That's why. Why What has God ever done for me? Why should I give my whole heart of surrender to God? Why should I put him first in my life? Because he's your husband. That's why. But Jesus told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Remember how I said in the Old Testament, the cost, the punishment for adultery was death? When a husband finds his wife caught in adultery, he's supposed to stone her. When a wife catches her husband, she's supposed to get the whole community to stone him. The question might be asked, well, how come we don't carry out that law today? How come we don't fulfill that law? Why why, why don't we carry that out anymore? I'll tell you why. Because there's a person that fulfilled that law. 
a person fulfilled that law completely, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. The reason why the Proverbs keep saying that the cost of adultery is death is because it is. The cost of sexual adultery is death. And the cost of spiritual adultery is death. It's nothing less than death. If you were back in the Old Testament days and you were married to a wife. And you found out that not only did she do a night, one night stand. But for the last five, ten years of your marriage. She has lived a in life of intense promiscuity. She has slept with every guy on the block. She actually went out and made herself a prostitute. She squanders all your wealth. She's given all her affections to every man on the block. She's destroyed the children. She's unrepentant. If we were living in those days, the law would have required her death. Who would want such a wife? If you really think about it, if that happened to you, you probably would not have a problem throwing that stone. Because you, you will know firsthand how damaging that adultery was to you and to your whole family. Who would want such a wife? And I'll tell you, there's a husband that says, I do. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Although we went astray, each to his own way, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Although the law required death of your adultery, Jesus paid the price of death. While you were unrepentant, by the way, he paid the price of death to restore a love relationship with him. Who would want such a wife? Jesus says, I do. And he went to the cross to purchase for himself the church. Although we are unfaithful, Jesus is faithful. And if we will get this message, and maybe I'm not doing the greatest job presenting this, but if we will get this message, it will eradicate sexual adultery from our families. The reason why sexual adultery is such a problem is because people don't realize and they don't experience how loved they are by God. They don't truly know how high of a price Christ paid to restore us into love relationship with God. Our earthly marriage covenants, they should be a microcosm of the covenant love relationship we have with God. And if we would work in that order, if people experience intimacy with God, and that becomes the model that not only inspires but enables us to have true intimacy with our spouse, our marriages will not be filled with adultery. Church, let us lead lives of sexual and spiritual purity. Adultery leads to death. Purity leads to life. Let us live our lives 
with warnings in our mouths and the word of God on our conscience so that we can live pure lives, pure in heart. For who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Word of God says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. If you want to do the will of God on earth, you've got to live and pursue a life of purity. It's the only place from which you will experience deep and fulfilling intimacy with God. Let's pray. Lord God, I just pray for each and every person here in this room. And Lord God, as this word goes out, I just pray for a shattering of every demonic stronghold on the family mountain here in Korea, God. Where this disease of adultery is spreading among the men and women of this nation, God. We are crying out on behalf of the family, God. Crying out on behalf of the children, God. And God, we are praying that God, all these lies of the devil be shattered and all these warnings from your wisdom be heeded. And starting with the church, that people will begin to repent and turn from their ways and seek to live a life of purity, understanding that God, that you have paid the price to redeem us. That you have paid a high price to be our husband. Even when we were yet sinners. We just thank you, God, that you are such a faithful husband and redeemer. We gladly give you our lives, Lord. We gladly bring hearts of purity before you, God. Just praise and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.